Welcome to Expert Gold Radio, which shows you how to leverage your leadership. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to Expert Gold Radio for August 2014. And this episode is all about innovation. Not just innovation in general, but innovation from individuals within your organization. So if you're a business leader, a business owner, an entrepreneur, or a motivated switched on leader anywhere in an organization, this is about how to tap into the innovation of your people. And in fact, this is not just about innovation, but it's also about employee engagement because the two go hand in hand. Let me explain why. For a long time, most organizations have struggled with the idea of employee engagement. And and this has become an even bigger struggle in a world where employees have more choices, greater flexibility, and less loyalty to you, your teams, and your organizations. And what's more, the rules of engagement have changed. Uh, Maybe you remember a time when all it took to engage your employees was to pay them enough, give them a reasonable work environment, and give them job security as long as it didn't mess up. And in return, the employees would be happy to be treated as human resources as long as the organization kept their side of the bargain. And those were the good old days, but that just doesn't work anymore because, well, there's a number of reasons. First, people just don't feel empowered. So everything needs approval and hierarchy, and now that's way too slow. And second, leaders don't have all the right answers anyway even if they're trying to tell employees what to do. Then, of course, employees bring their own assets to the job, their social media network, their connections, their ideas, their energy, all the other things that they bring from the rest of their life. And as a result of that, employees have started expecting more from work, and that more meant more than just money. And you may remember a time when there was a shift to teams and teamwork. So it's all about projects and shared goals and collaboration. And employees were chosen for teams because of their specific and unique skills. And they were valued for their contribution to the team. And they were rewarded for what the team achieved as a team. And that's better than just treating your employees as resources, as chess pieces to move around the board. But that still left a lot to be desired, especially now for modern employees who do want personal achievement as well as team achievement and they want career growth as well as the organization's growth and they want meaning as well as money and they're just not willing to give up the bulk of their waking hours to serve somebody else's agenda. They want their own voice to be heard and their own goals to be met. So where does that leave us? Does this mean that an organization and a leader has to pander to their employees? Is it an employee's market where you just have to give them what they want or they're going to leave for a better offer and it doesn't really matter whether you get what you want? Well, yeah, to some extent that's true, but that's a very limited view of the world. What if we were able to harness all that talent instead? See, I think our organizations are full of smart and talented and motivated and passionate people who will be happy to engage if you give them something engaging. And don't just engage them to keep them amused, engage them to improve your team and your organization. In other words, treat employees as innovators. And that's why I think employee engagement is all about innovation. So to help you put this in practice, this month I'm bringing you an interview with the brilliant Nils Vesk. Now, Nils is an expert in creativity, innovation, and making ideas happen. And he's really fantastic at doing this in a really practical way. So taking ideas out of your head and turning them into reality. And I particularly want to talk to Nils about how to tap into the innovation skills of individual employees. So let's join that conversation as Nils talks about innovation in every part of your organization. You're talking about individuals, you're talking about ordinary people, and I use ordinary in quotation marks, but you're talking about ordinary people who don't think of themselves as innovative, or you're talking about 
managers and team leaders who don't think of themselves as leading innovative people, but they can. They can, can't they? Exactly right. I actually try and start with, you know, I often will run my workshops and work with clients and I'll, I'll start with a saying that, you know, I have a fundamental belief that everyone in the room here is a world-class innovator. And, and I really do, do start with that with my intention because if I've got that as an intention then and, and as a fundamental belief, then it becomes so much easier for me to work with people and for people to realise that, you know what, they've actually got amazing innovative ability. What's got in the way is the conditioning from schooling and education and vocation and, you know, unfortunately it's sort of been repressed and suppressed in different ways and, um, you know, I, I often find that I'm merely usually just a catalyst to help them discover what they've already got and give them obviously a few tools and a few processes to make it even easier. But, yeah, I, I think anyone can innovate. And really if you look through the history of some great inventions, let's talk about physical inventions and even service um, invention, um, some of them, you know, the most amazing things have been created by ordinary people, you know, like the the Gillette razor, the Gillette story of the, the razor for us guys that, that shave our faces and the women that shave their legs it was, was invented by just a, you know, off, off uh, a guy that just went, oh, you know, I've got this idea and I'm going to go and make it happen. Um, and, yeah, you don't have to have a PhD or a degree in engineering to, to invent things. Um, you know, I've been doing some research on, a, on a, an amazing 13-year-old um, kid in America who's, who's got his own website and is inventing things like a, a, something called a fart detector. <laughs> and uh, it's really cool because it's kind of a bit of a geeky thing, but, but his market is for all of these sort of other kind of geeky kids like him and is doing amazingly well and it's like wow you know what a great invention um but it was you know anyone can get out there and do it well i think you've also hit on that point that you that you alluded to earlier which is the idea that you're a catalyst and maybe you help people uncover their natural innovation because 13 year olds will do that but i guess as we get older but we we kind of get told we have to do what we expected um, life's so busy that you can only do do what's your job description and what your current role in the project is and that's again one, one of the reasons i want to talk to you because um, again as i said there are some really smart talented creative innovative people out there mm. and we just need to unleash them don't get me wrong there are changes happening in the world of education um, but it's going to be a long time, you know, until we really see an embracing of, let's say, um, beyond the left brain thinking, linear thinking type mindset. You know, the mm -hmm. work by Howard Gardner or other people around multiple intelligences, I think, is encouraging that sort of work. And, and you know, there's a lot more that's happening in that space, just even the type of teaching methodologies that are being using. But still, usually when it comes down to, um, the the way that people are judged and and examined and assessed is still based very much on a, a linear IQ intelligence, which you know is isn't necessarily the most um, productive and successful way when we think about the sort of jobs that we've got out there in the real world and the tasks and all of the activities that people need to do. Which is, we think about it, unless it's a very task orientated profession or or, or um, job role. Um, you know, lateral thinking or innovative thinking, design thinking, customer experience are playing so much more of a, a major role in 
in industry nowadays and words or um, roles such as user experience, um, you know, those things, user experience managers, th- those roles just didn't exist because, um, you know, people didn't have that mm-hmm. expectation and, and, you know, that's the sort of stuff that's going on nowadays. So it's exciting. Um, but, yeah, still us legacy <laughs> learners um, are still battling with that. I think, you know, having innovation or being creative and those ability to express our thoughts and, and explore um, were beaten out of us at a fairly young age. Well, this is another reason why I really like what you do, Nils. I love your idea of this ideas with legs because it seems to be a, a systematic process for innovation. And uh, I guess a lot of people will think, no, innovation and creativity has to be something that's random and it just, you know, an apple falls and then you have a great idea. But you seem to have systematized it in a way that gives people a process. And as you say, there's a lot of people who are task-oriented, they're focused on activities, but you've got this really powerful, I read the book, The Ideas with Legs book, and a really powerful system for going from what you call ideation, which is going all the way from something abstract in your head to an act, to a practical implementation that creates a product, a service, an experience, anything. And and I love that. I love that. So um, I'd love to talk about that because I think there's some really powerful things that you can do to encourage innovation, whether you're an innovative person in an organization and you've got some great ideas that you just want to get out there, or whether you're a manager or a team leader. Let me, let me start with a couple of reasons, maybe say where the reason why I came up with the idea. Um, ideas are a dime a dozen. Um, we come up with lots of ideas, you, me, everyone listening today. Um, unfortunately, a lot of them don't go anywhere. Some will go um, and, and have an opportunity. And I think the, the challenge is that the ones that can actually go somewhere are harder to find and harder to create. And what I found is through experience as a designer and for my own little projects is that um, I often felt like I needed a hand in in taking people um, through that process step by step. And, you know, it's great to have an idea, but if you never do anything with it, you're kind of just wasting your own time. And if anything, you're kind of torturing your own mind and your own soul because you thought, wow, I had that really good idea. You know, it was 10 years ago. And I still haven't done anything with it. And it's funny, the brain doesn't forget good ideas and, and it kind of comes back and it will be nagging in the back of your mind. So the, the the whole reason for the book was, you know what, I had challenges with it myself where sometimes I'd have some ideas that got realized, some fantastic projects, and then others that didn't. And I thought, okay, why didn't that idea work and what were the steps that, you know, would have probably made it work or helped me find a better path later on? So that's sort of why I came up with let's come up with the guide that takes them through step by step. And and a lot of it in many ways mm. was based on part of the design thinking process that I learned as a designer. So whether you're designing a building, a new city or a, a, a new mouse to hold on to or a, you know, a chair or a car, um, the same process can be applied to let's improve um, or come up with an idea and go out there and build it. And it's quite a, a, a universal type of, of mindset. But even even designers who go through, you know, six or seven years at design school can still be um, not very creative and not very innovative. And so I wanted to make sure that um, I gave readers the opportunity to, to learn all of those concepts, but also let's go out there and build it. 
Um, and I reckon there's probably four stages to that. And, and I think I write about this in my book, and evolution, revolution, revelation, and execution. So I talk about evolution as being, I guess, the start. If you think, you know, where does it all start? And where does the idea come from? Um, what's going to be your motivation to creating an idea? And how do you, you know, do exploration and research for it? And, and, and how do you actually get the ideas going to start with? Um, that's probably the first stage. That revolution is, you know, how do we actually revolt around our traditional linear thinking that, you know, can solve problems and get things done, but we're still on that same level that we've always been thinking about. So how do we disrupt the mind? How can we alter our thinking? And really importantly, what are all of the obstructions to generating ideas and realising the ideas? Um, the, the third major stage is what I call revelation, and that is around how do you give your mind a break from thinking the way that we normally think so that ideas can actually come to us because, you know, right now, unless you're falling asleep, um, we're in a beta brainwave state, and the research has shown that more often than not our most innovative ideas come in a state of alpha brainwave state. So how, do we, how are we mindful of that, and how do we allow that in our processes so that we, we know when the ideas are going to come and without worrying about creating them right there on the moment? And, and how do we tap into things like visualisation as well? And the final stage is around execution because, again, ideas are great unless we build it. So how do we select from the hundreds of ideas or the several ideas that we create, um, how do we go into that production mindset and what do we do to actually complete it and how do we celebrate it and review the success of it. So there are kind of four stages around that. That, that, that might give you, I guess, a bit of a sense around um, part of that. I think you also were talking, Gihan, about you know, how, how do you work with someone who might be, say, for example, um, an ordinary person working with an organisation and, you know, how, how can you tap into this sort of mindset for a leader or a manager? Um, two archetypes. Let's call the first one Powerless mm -hmm. Penny. And Penny's a knowledge worker. She works <laughs> in an organisation. Um, she's smart. She's talented. She's motivated. Um, she's quite creative. Um, but she doesn't necessarily have the authority to go out there and make her idea happen. And we'll call the other person uh, Follow Me Fred. And um, Fred is a team leader and a manager who's trying to get people inspired to go out there and, and follow them, um, you know, to, to contribute with the ideas and really spearhead innovation around an organisation. So for Powerless Penny, <laughs> um, and, and please don't take offence if your name is Penny out there, for Powerless Penny, who's, who's got the ideas and things, what my, my recommendation is is to think about um, the biggest challenge is getting other people to buy into the ideas. And what usually goes on when someone says, oh, I've got an idea, let me tell you about it. And, and either it takes, you know, 10 minutes to explain it or someone hasn't really thought it through and, you know, the other person just doesn't get it um, and, you know, they've tried it once before and they get knockbacks. Um, that's kind of the biggest thing that, that, that Penny's up to and um, up against. And I think there are sort of probably three basic ways that will help Penny get through that. The first one is to create a prototype. 
And I often talk about rapid prototyping as being the new black of innovation. And when I say prototype, I talk about rapid prototyping. So we have a process that we share with our clients that within 30 minutes, um, you can basically learn some insights into what a customer's or a client's challenges are, um, generate 10 or 15 ideas, select one of those, and then develop it, create a prototype, and then pitch it all within half an hour. And, And the beauty of, say, for example, learning how to prototype in such a short amount of time means that I can come up to you and say, okay, um, Gihan, um, I've just been thinking about a challenge that we've got in our business and I've come up with a couple of ideas on ways that I think we can improve it. I've worked on a little bit of a prototype to help communicate that. Do you mind if I share that with you for a couple of minutes? And and so Mm -hmm. what happens then is I've got something physical to help communicate um, what might be a quite a um, intangible idea for some and it gives people the ability to get a handle of what it is that the idea might be. And within that prototype, um, what happens is people realise what it is that they're trying to get across and they've got to articulate it in a way that they probably wouldn't normally think. Quite often... A usual expectation is, right, I want you to create a 20-page um, business plan or business case on doing that. And if you've got a prototype, people can get it in a second. Even if it's really abstract, it enables them to do that. And I'm sure um, you know, you're mindful of in terms of communication. If you give someone a metaphor, an analogy, or even you know, have a model, it just makes it really easy for both sides of the brain type thinkers, right side and left side, to to get a handle on, on what it is that you're trying to communicate. So prototype would be the first thing. The next thing would be to think about the ROI, the return of investment, um, for the idea itself. And that's not to mean that you have to create a 20-page business case, but just to think about what are going to be some of the benefits um, beyond just that it's it's new and it's fresh. And I think quite often the challenge is that most people think of features as a new innovation. Oh, we've just put on this new, you know, razzle-dazzle whistle on, on, our, on our gadget. Um, yeah, okay. But what benefit is it really creating? What value is it creating? And I've found that I've had interviews with, you know, CEOs around the world and they've always said, Nils, we are happy to give millions of dollars to people. What doesn't happen, though, is that people are afraid to come with us, come to us, with their idea, and usually they haven't thought through their idea. So, um, you know, one of the things that we do is we try and get people, we give them a template on a way to pitch their ideas and and to think about things so that they've thought about it, you know, what might be the implications in terms of a production cost or the implications in terms of, you know, human resources or time or, or funding or, you know, marketing and a few things like that. But it just enables people to think about it. We've got prototyping and ROI and a bit of a business case. And then the third one is pitching. And that is we've got to be really clear about how can we get our message across so that people get it in a simple way. And, um, yeah, the prototype will really, really help this. But another simple way of thinking about this is imagine you're pitching to a venture capitalist. They've got less than three minutes to listen to you. They're listening to hundreds of people um, pitching their ideas um, day in, day out. So you've got to go... How can I communicate it in a way that they're going to get really quickly? And the simplest thing that Powers Penny can do is say, oh, so this new idea for a widget is it's kind of like a bottle of water 
um, meets a ballpoint pen. Now, I don't know what that idea is because I just made it up. But then they'll be able to go, oh, yeah, okay. Or it's kind of like eBay um, meets a farmer's market. Oh, wow, how does that work? Well, what we do is every week we have um, a market that comes in and people look at the foods and they bid on it and bang, they've got it delivered to their house. So rather than buying something online that you don't know what vegetables you get, you actually see what you're bidding on for that day. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's an idea for a new direct, um, direct to market, mm-hmm. um, you know, fresh vegetable produce business online. But do you know what I mean? It's a people can get it really quickly, and and that's really important skill. If you can't pitch your idea, people just aren't going to get it, and yeah, yeah, you're going to end up being powerless. Let, let me go on to now. Follow me, Fred. As a manager, uh, one of the the challenges with innovation is, and I think it's probably the the word I have a real disconnect with in business is the word manager. And I really think it's so old school, and it just it just isn't conducive. Um, I, I think we need to think of all of our our business uh, managers and get rid of the word manager and call them leaders. And and I think good leadership is not about directing people what to do but around facilitating and encouraging people to do it. So mm-hmm. um, in order to, to encourage great ideas, you start by asking great questions. And it could be as simple as just once a week meeting could be saying something like, okay, guys, I want you to have a think about what's the latest or the, the, the coolest thing that you've come across this last week. It could be something that's a website. It could be an invention, a product. It could be some great restaurant or, or hotel you went to or something like that. But just have a think about what was it that you've seen that was really interesting. And then share. Okay, cool. Now, what do you think made that service or that product or that gadget or that invention really interesting to you? Let's, let's think of the attributes. All right. Share them. Okay. So knowing that that's in a completely different industry or world to ours, how could we take those attributes, those key elements? Is there any way we could force ourselves to try and apply them to our industry or our world? Let's just see if we can and see what comes up. And what what this does is it starts to get people out of their own, oh, this is, you know, I can't possibly innovate. I'm a lawyer. Well, this says you can't. You're, 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 you're limited by your own mindset. But if we go, well, here was a great invention um, I experienced um, when I was, I don't know, at a shop the other day. Well, what, what made it amazing? Well, let's see if we can apply that somehow, the thinking behind the invention or the product, the innovation, and apply that to us. And that that is one of the most liberating, simple activities and facilitative techniques um, that if every just did that every week, I could guarantee you, you would have more commercial ideas uh, than any other organization on the planet. It is so simple. Um, so that's a really good example. Mm. Um, the other thing that can really work for Follow Me, Fred, is to create recognition around innovation. And uh, I think old school management used to be around reward, reward, reward. You know, do a task will reward you for it. And, you know, research has shown that if you've got task-driven activities, um, that reward does work. But when it comes to innovation, research has shown that reward does not work. It's more about recognition. 
And so what that basically means is, you know, create a recognition award for most improved innovator or, you know, most improved um, innovator for the week or the month or the year. And the beauty about the term most improved is there's never the best because if you say, for example, top leader or top salesperson award, then what do they do after that? They can't, you know, they can't get any better. But most Mm. improved Mm. means that, you know, for the, for the month of, of July or month of January that they were the most improved. Um, I think that's a really powerful thing. And I, I, I learned a lot from another colleague, friend of ours, uh, Michael Henderson, the anthropologist. He really shared that mm. with me in terms of creating a culture. It, it's not about having that flat top level. It's It can always be improved. And I really embraced that thing and said, yeah, well, we can do the same with innovation. Um, and one last thing that I think Gihan can really be beneficial to uh, getting or giving a, a leader the opportunity to encourage and support ideas is to challenge what's already being done. And I'm a really big fan of what I would call mapping touch points and processes. And and so, you know, we can't start to innovate unless we know exactly what we're doing already. And people go, oh, I know what I do. Yeah, but do you actually have that on paper? Do you have that in a simple format that people can look at it objectively and say, why do we do that? Well, what if we did this with this? Or what if we changed that order around? And I, and I really think that mapping touch points and processes can can really be uh, one of the, the foundation evolution stages of innovation. And, um, you know, it doesn't have to be let's map our whole business today. Let's do a little bit, um, you know, every month or every time we have a meeting. And from that we can make great innovations in an incremental, incremental level. So I hope you enjoyed that. That's an extract of a longer conversation that I had with Niels about his work in organizations. And if you'd like to get the full interview, go to my website, gihanperera.com, and you'll be able to get it from the resources area. And if you'd like to get in touch with Niels, you can contact him at innovationblueprint.com.au. Of course, there's a lot more to innovation making ideas happen than what we've discussed. But if you start by embracing Nils's ideas, that is a pretty good start. I also want to jump in with one of my own ideas as well. And it's about what sort of innovations you do and why. So specifically, let's look at innovation in a changing world because we're all surrounded by change and we constantly need to adapt and innovate. But I reckon there's a right and a wrong way to do it. For example, I read a story recently in the media about a cafe in Terrigal just north of Sydney, and it's charging customers 50 cents extra if they're using their mobile phone while they're placing their order for coffee at the counter. In fact, there's a big sticky note on the cash register warning them of it. It says, 50 cents surcharge for being on the phone at the counter. It's rude. Now, the person who put it up there is a cafe manager, Luke Proust, or Proust, who came up with that idea, and he's pretty proud of this initiative. According to the article that I read, he says he has the support of everybody. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who would applaud him for taking a stand. But I reckon there's just as many others who'd say it's a dumb idea. And I fall into that second group. I think it's a dumb idea. Now, sure, it's an innovation, but I think it's a wrong kind of innovation. So instead of responding to the changing world, this kind of innovation reacts to it and tries to fight it. It says, I was happy with the way that things used to work, and now somebody's threatening that, so I'm going to innovate a solution that punishes them. It's innovation that holds on to the past instead of innovating to create a better future. 
So let me give you another example, which is in complete contrast to that. At my local cafe, just down the street from where I live, the owner, Nino, has responded to exactly the same situation in a far more positive way. And he has customers on their mobile phones as well, and I bet he has many more of them than that other cafe in Terrigal. But instead of fighting it, he's seen it as an opportunity. So he's teamed up with the innovative team at Rewardle.com to offer his customers incentives for using their phone at the counter. So as a customer, I can use my phone as a coffee loyalty card and I can earn points and rewards, just like my Qantas Frequent Flyer card. Now, this isn't the only cafe that's doing it, but that's not the point. The point I want to make is, is that these are two people who faced exactly the same change in their world and they chose to respond in very different ways. One looking to the past and the other one looking at the future. So what about you and your teams and your organizations? What are you like as a leader in your organization? Do you see change as a threat or as an opportunity? So when you're faced with some change in your environment, broadly, there are four things that you can do. One, you can ignore the change and hope it'll go away. I think that's a pretty risky strategy. Sticking your head in the sand and hoping the change is going to pass you by is really going to give you success. The second thing you can do is resist the change and try to restore the status quo. And that's the solution that they use in that Terrigal Cafe. So mobile phones are a problem. Okay, let's penalize the people who are using them. The third option, this is pretty common, is to accept the change and try to work around it so it doesn't get in the way. So if you took, look back at the cafe example, rather than finding your customers, what you could do is train your staff to handle those customers with grace and courtesy. Maybe you tell them politely to just step back and let somebody else jump in front and then people will get the point pretty quickly. The fourth thing that you can do is embrace the change and find a way to take advantage of it. That's what Nino has done at my local cafe Jugglers. Actually, I think there's, there's a fifth option as well, and that is to lead the change by creating that change in the environment. And some organizations do that, but most of us are responding to change. But either way, which of these options will you choose? If you want to be resilient, and that's a good thing, then choose the third option, accept change and work around it. But if you want to be even better and be truly innovative, embrace the change or lead it. And if you want to foster innovation in your team and the individuals in your team, and as a result of that, future-proof your organization, look for the innovations that take you into your future. So that's it for Expert Gold Radio this month. I hope you enjoyed the show and found something that you can take away and use in your personal and your professional life. If you'd like to engage with me in other ways, here are some other things that you can do. You can engage me as a speaker for your next conference and you can find out more at gihanspeaks.com. You can subscribe to my email newsletter, which is also called Expert Gold, at gihanperera.com. And while you're there, read and subscribe to my blog as well. And also sign up to my free webinar series. They'll help you with your personal and professional life, especially in how the Internet has changed the way that the world works. You can also go to my video channel at gihanperera.tv and watch my regular educational videos. Or you can join my membership site, the eGurus community, at eGurus.info. I'll be back next month with more great content. Have a great month and bye for now. You've been listening to Expert Gold Radio. If you'd like to subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.